I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. You can follow us at Celtics Pride Pod on Twitter. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Just like the New England Patriots, I value intellectual players a little bit too much when it comes to talent evaluation. And good friend, Mike Minkoff. I'm uh, trying not to pick up too many technical fouls today. A high, high stress day at work. Well, you know. Gonna gonna keep it under control. Keep my emotions in check. Marcus Smart, uh, the Marcus Smart of the podcast, trying to rein it in here. We are all here, and Mike is feisty today. We're talking about Jason Tatum's record-breaking streak. The rookies are playing well. We've got some injuries happening. We're watching the standings. There's some rotations getting settled here. In my opinion, let's start by just talking about the last week. So. Uh, two and two losses against Oklahoma City and Portland wins against Charlotte and San Antonio. Let's start with Jason Tatum. Josh, uh, we talked last time about Tatum versus Steph in that game. Then he ties the most points in Celtics history in a game with 60. He now owns the most points in a game in a three-game stretch uh, with 128. Uh, are we comparing him to Larry Bird at this point? Yeah, so it was really it's really interesting because you know Mike mentioned last podcast about him remind that you know the duel with Steph Curry reminding him of Larry Bird's duel with Dominique Wilkins, and I kind of poo pooed that idea, and you know then Tatum goes off for sixty in a separate game, and so now everyone's comparing him to Bird because he tied that Celtics record, and which was the game that Bird had sixty? It was the same game against Dominique Wilkins. I rewatched that game, and. You know, Bird was just on fire and unstoppable, a little bit different than the game that Tatum had when he scored 60, where he kind of looked exhausted uh, throughout the game at different points. You know, he he was definitely on fire for stretches, but it was a little bit of a different type of um, method that he got to 60 compared to Bird just shooting from all over the court and making everything, like kind of putting on a jump shooting clinic. So... You know, but I think it's really interesting. 128 points in three games, that breaks Larry Bird's record for Tatum. Um, you know, first Celtics player to win players of the week three times since Garnett. I mean, now we're starting to talk about Tatum like like he's one of the all-time greats. I called him a Hall of Famer a few podcasts ago, and it's just crazy to me because I still get annoyed with Tatum, you know, at certain points of the game, the way he gets back on defense slowly, the way he he's distracted by the refs and, and always complaining. You know, but now that he's getting to the line more often and being really aggressive, it's a whole different Jason Tatum. And we still don't even know if he's like fully all the way back from the effects of COVID. So, I mean, it's just it's just another example of how when you've got young stars on your team, you're just waiting for things to click on a new level. And it seems like Tatum keeps having more levels to go. It's pretty incredible. I think Larry Bird was, 30, was 23 when he entered the NBA, which is Tatum's current age. And it's, it's amazing what Tatum is doing. I'm, I'm so impressed. I, I do want to 
Larry Bird's game was better. He did it in regulation. So let's yeah, let's give him the credit he deserves there. Yeah, I do. I do think those and those I records, mean, like, should only be within regulation. <laughs> right, yeah, like it—it yeah. it doesn't make sense to compare a forty-eight-minute accomplishment to a fifty-three-minute accomplishment. I don't quite get it. Yeah, Bird Celtics scored about one hundred twenty points in that game. Obviously, we scored like one forty, one forty-three in ours. So sixty points out of one forty-three is not the same as sixty out of one hundred or one twenty, right? Um, but the defense back then was—I mean, just—I don't even remember being it that bad. It was like nineteen sixties defense where everybody's four feet off the, their man. Um, you know, I don't, I, looking back in my memory, I don't remember the defense sagging off that much in the eighties, uh, but they did. Do you guys know who is number three in the NBA in the last two weeks in free throw attempts per game? I'm going to go with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> That's nine a game. Um, so a, to me, a really interesting thing about his free throw attempts is I feel like he's generating at least against the Spurs, he generated a lot of them by operating out of the post, which I think is a really interesting and, and pretty new development for his game. He he spent more time in the post, and maybe that was just because of the matchups, and they felt like he could get a, a particularly advantageous uh, defensive assignment for that. But I felt like he was, you know he kept going through DeJounte Murray, um, just kind of turning, going right into contact. He's done a lot better in general at actually just going straight through contact, something we've talked about, uh, mostly lamenting the lack of his his interest in, in going straight through the opposition's chest. So it has been really nice to see that kind of evolution in his approach and mindset in, in the last couple of weeks. And do you guys think that Tatum's just kind of, he knew that this is what he needed to do, but he couldn't really man up to do it all season long. He had to kind of wait until gearing up for the playoffs. And it's like, okay, I'll go that extra mile to put in that extra effort only when it really matters, but not for the entire regular season. Cause I feel like there's some of that going on. I, I, I don't know. There's it's one of the many, many mysteries with this year's team. <laughs> and I've, I've decided at this point in the season, it's best not to dwell on any of it because it will just drive you insane. Can, for similar reasons, can we also agree not to try and figure it out anymore? No, I, that's it, yes, that's I agree. But can I? I have a question about the San Antonio game and Tatum's sixty. So, what what was the most impressive piece of the game to you guys? Was it Tatum going for sixty? Was it the Celtics somehow inexplicably kind of transforming from the first half being the worst team the NBA has ever seen? to uh, achieving a 32-point comeback? Or was it uh, Aaron Neesmith uh, all of a sudden looking like our third best player? It was the fact, for me, it was the fact that you could hear the boos from only 2,000 fans. Yeah, I agree with that. I, that's not surprising because I think you could, all, you could actually hear it from the hundreds of thousands of people in the Boston area all booing at that first half performance. What a microcosm of the season so far, where like they, they have so much potential, they play up to, to good teams, and they just totally stink up the joint. <laughs> and, and it's totally, it, it's like light switches flipping on and off. And who knows what's going to come next. And the light switch happened in Portland, too, after not getting that, or after getting the, the basket removed for the offensive goaltending call. Mm. You know, we were just drained the last three minutes of the game. We just had nothing. We, it was poor shot selection. 
it was like one call just deflated us and and then it was over after a really hard fought game against Portland. Well, I just young teams. I mean, Portland's obviously a great offensive team, but the Celtics gave up 146 points in their last two first halves combined. Like what what is happening? I don't understand why our defense just disappeared completely. And like we were starting to turn it around. I- and then there were some injuries and like, sure, I I can understand a little bit of blips, but just just gone. It's just atrocious. I don't understand. It's awful. Yeah, well, I think there's two things going on with that. Uh, and I saw it during the Minnesota game. That's why I keep talking about that Minnesota game. Like you it do was a keep good talking about that Minnesota game. It was just game. a duel. <laughs> I know. And everybody wonders why. And here's why. It was It was another one of those just high-scoring shootout type games just like the Portland game, just like the San Antonio game, where both teams aren't really missing, and it's just all offense and no defense. And you know that's what we get in the 110-point era when teams are averaging 110 points per game. I think it's just you know all these stats are a little bit inflated because everyone's just scoring so many points. It's basically the ABA all over again, right, where it's all offense. Uh, but the other piece of it is there's no practice time. I mean, so... Defense is something that you work on mostly in practice, especially when it comes to continuity and moving together. So that's not something that you can really pick up and be elite at throughout the season, throughout every game. You know, consistency is really hard to get without practice time. Yeah, that I mean, that definitely makes sense. I do wonder as as well how much, um, like, you know, Fournier came out with his comments after after the game against Portland talking about the effects of COVID on him. Obviously, our team has been ravaged generally um, by COVID health and, health and safety protocols and, and actual COVID illnesses. Um, we played late into last season. I mean, you know, I, I think, I, I don't think anyone likes kind of quote-unquote making excuses, but I think the Celtics have some pretty legitimate explanations for the inconsistent and and frankly substandard play over the course of the season and i think i've come to acceptance with it at this point um i've come to acceptance that the celtics are probably going to be in the play-in or certainly have at least even odds of ending up in the play -uh, play in and i frankly wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make it out of the play-in at this point Yeah, I was thinking that earlier. They could. It would not shock me if they lost in the first round, even got swept in the first round, and it would not surprise me if they went to the finals this year. That's how crazy this is. But you don't think they could win a championship? No. But no. they can I, get to look, the finals. Yeah, I mean, we can come back to that. I, ha- I have. I, I'm starting to feel like the the rotation is is finally set in a way that, on paper, if this team is healthy, uh, it looks we pretty have, good. We've but, still not had our best eight players. Like that includes Fournier. Yeah. All healthy in the same game together. Yeah, that if is so huge. It's such a big if. I mean, I was I was writing the my notes for this podcast while I was watching the Blazers game, and I was th- I was thinking about like, can this team be healthy? That was a major question that I was asking. That's before Tatum and Brown collided with each other. Uh, and and <laughs> do we have a, a, an update on that, Mike? What I know that. The team feels okay about. Yeah, we're we're recording this on Monday evening, um, at around I don't know six p.m. or so, six thirty. Adam Himmelsbach uh, from the Boston Globe tweeted, "No official word on Jalen Brown's status from the Celtics, but there is optimism that he avoided a significant injury." So, 
who the heck knows what that means as far as potential games missed, what the actual injury is, etc. I mean, he, for all we know, he could still be out for two to three weeks. It, you know, significant would just mean like a broken bone, right? So that doesn't tell us right. anything. Fake. Um, I, I pretty sure I saw a comment from Jason Tatum saying he's he's pretty sure he's going to be okay, and then he said, you know. Hopefully nothing major for Jalen, basically indicating he didn't really know the status there. Um, we don't even know really what the timetable is for Kemba, who's missed the last, what, three games with yeah, that right. strained oblique after he was able to finish the game against, was it Charlotte, where he had the injury, left the game for a bit, and then came back? Yeah, I'm I'm concerned. I mean, it's another small point guard with a hip area injury, and we, we've had... No, 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 but Kemba's been a bastion of health, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the one I'm concerned about is Jalen Brown right now. I mean, you had you had Marcus Smart go to the locker room for what looked like a concussion, and then you know, thank God he came back out. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes into concussion protocol after the fact, but the fact that he came back and played the game um, and finished out the game, that you know, that's a really good sign as far as not losing him to that concussion protocol, which could take a while. Um, I would be surprised if he had a concussion and doesn't enter the concussion protocol. But it was f- funny to me. He's back there in the locker room. Then Tatum and Brown collide with each other. Brown limps back to the locker room very gingerly, and then Tatum joins him a minute later. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, at least they got you know smart back there to 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 keep them together and and uh, you know kind of rally the troops, keep the mood up or something. You know, Smart's the glue guy there. Um, but I'm more worried about just watching how gingerly Jalen Brown walked to the locker room you know tatum seemed like he could walk and and hold his own body weight but brown did not he was being lifted up by teammates so that that's the one that scares me and the fact that they're being so vague about the language um about his health that that worries me a little bit um looking ahead i'm you know we can lose these guys for two games we got a wednesday and a friday game but then we got two games in a row against miami starting on sunday and those are kind of make or break games as far as this play-in tournament goes if we beat Miami twice, you know we're, we're out of that playing tournament, but, in my opinion. If we break even with them, we have the tiebreaker, so that would be okay too. But if we lose two in a row, I mean, it's a lock that we're in the play-in, and that's that's tough. I mean, in your heart of hearts, and two basically must-win games against that Miami Heat team, do you feel good about the Celtics' odds? I do, yeah. I do I not either. Not. I mean. I don't. I don't want to be a, a downer, the but team they were last they, year. that team took it to us in the playoffs last year. Yeah, but they're not the same team Neither that they were we. last year. Tyler Hero is having an awful season. Sure, sure, but I'm not scared of them. I mean, I'm not scared of Bam out of Iowa in the same way that I was last year. It's a different team this year. This Miami Heat team's not the same. No Jay Crowder. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It, Josh, if you if you were to bet on your twin brother's life, um, where where would you say wow. Wait, what? <laughs> where what would you say the Celtics postseason outcome would be? If I'm betting on his on life, Adam's life, life. yeah, you better be right. I think that we lose in the Eastern Conference Championship. Wow, Adam, how do you feel about that? You are. You're done. You're out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to write yeah. my will right now. You're not making it past the first round, I don't think. <laughs> and Josh is not in it. I, I, yeah, I think that we can beat these teams. I think that when we flip the switch on, 
I think that we can beat these what? teams in the East. I'm not really afraid of any of the teams in I, the East besides... I cannot okay. believe okay. that you still believe this team can f- turn a switch on and play consistently enough to win multiple playoff series. Yeah, I see the maturity in Tatum like... He's just kind of waiting for when it matters. Oh, no, that's not a to, that's not a thing you can do. All the way, we're not nearly good enough to do that. <laughs> I don't let's, trust. Let's talk. This I don't through. trust that. I don't trust that that's like the right way to do it. But that's what I'm seeing him do, and I see that as a maturity thing. Like these guys are all, even LeBron, they're all figuring out like how to best pace themselves, and just to wait for the playoffs. And in the playoffs, you can go guns blazing, balls to the wall, and can and I, I feel like. You know, this this resurgence of, of Tatum going to the free throw line nine times per game now in the last couple of weeks, I mean, that's 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 him getting ready for the playoffs because he knows he's going to need to do that in the playoffs. I think I think your idea about him pacing himself has coincided very nicely with his recovery from COVID. Uh, Mike, you mentioned Evan Fournier had comments. He, he basically said it's like having a concussion. He talked about struggling to focus, issues with depth perception. And this is a real so thing. I, I think that's a little A convenient. number of doctors have come out and talked yeah. about how, yeah, this yeah. like post-COVID brain fog is a very real thing. Yeah. Hey, let's avoid Shoot, COVID, I, everyone. <laughs> I got I got the brain fog. I never got COVID. Yeah, so. it's, been, it's been a challenge to navigate that on this podcast at times. <laughs> yeah. I won't get into my history with that. Um, but Josh, so I, I mean, Tatum's ob- obviously coming on. I mean, historic proportions here. Jalen Brown has been playing great all year. We got rookies coming on now, and Brad Stevens is finally playing them together. Aaron Neesmith, the last three games, is is like a totally different guy. Who like who is this new Aaron Neesmith? I mean, I think about Mike. Remember, when, remember in, early in the season when you were like, I think he's a bust. I I and do remember that, and I he... stand by thinking it at the time because he literally. I mean, he couldn't have he couldn't have looked more out of place on an NBA court unless he was named Carson Edwards. That was that was really cheap, low blow. I just couldn't resist. It popped into my head. No, um, <laughs> but and Carson Edwards, in his defense, has looked way better this season than he did last season. Uh, still fringe fringe NBA player, but Aaron Neesmith has looked phenomenal. He it, his his kind of energy. Yes, but it's really his confidence and his, his just knowing where to be and just being there with force. And it's something that this team doesn't have enough of right now. Um, and he's just been killing it. And, you know, I, I think we commented on this early, early in the season. I've been surprised consistently throughout the season with how athletic he is. Um, I didn't I didn't realize he was that athletic coming out of the draft. Uh, and it continues to just impress me kind of the springiness when he goes up for blocks or rebounds and, and kind of the speed and um, just kind of flash he has when he kind of attacks, attacks some of those rebounds or, you know, goes after a loose ball or, you know, flips over somebody's back, whatever, whatever he's doing. Yeah. It's his confidence, especially on offense is night and day with, with early in the season. Like he's, he's, there was a play um, against the Blazers where he was in the post and, and, kind of drop stepped and, and it was like not he was well covered it was not for a rookie to take that shot uh what instead of bailing out and passing passing out I, I loved that uh that was towards the end of the game and that to me was like this this guy thinks he can score on offense every time he touches the ball now and that's who we kind of expected to see uh Peyton Pritchard speaking of confidence shooting the ball 
28 points against OKC. He's he's been up and down as most rookies are, but in terms of his box scores, but he's really shooting the ball well over four. I think 42 percent in, in so, the last uh, month or Jake, so. Jay King uh, tweeted out Peyton Pritchard's shooting 44.5 percent from behind behind the arc since the beginning of March. With the exception of February, which is when he was coming back from his knee injury, his worst three-point shooting month this season is 38.7%. So he is just a shooter, period. Yeah. And Evan Fournier, I think it was 7 of 8 against Portland, just stroking the ball uh, after after really looking like he actually was struggling with focus and depth perception issues, the way he was shooting it. You could see in his shot. Uh I mentioned Brad Stevens is finally playing Neesmith and Pritchard together, two rookies together. He was really hesitant to do that throughout the year. It it seems like, I, and I, you know, watch him prove me wrong, but in terms of rotations, it seems like he has finally settled on what his rotations are. He's got Fournier coming off the bench. Uh, it's unclear whether he's starting Thompson or Rob Williams. I think we'll see. And Mike, I know you you think Thompson is going to start going forward. Oh, I have no uh, idea who's going to start. I just would cast oh, yeah. my lot with Thompson. I mean, Thompson was the one mostly on the court when we came back against San Antonio. But then Thompson also had a pretty rough game against Portland. So, you know, Thompson's far from yep. perfect. I, I acknowledge that. But I still think he's a steadier, more more reliable option in those higher leverage moments. I kind of wonder whether it will be matchup dependent, but one of them will come off the bench with Fournier, and then you have Neesmith and Pritchard. That's like that. That's your your nine guys. Romeo, if need be, Grant Williams, depending on the matchup, maybe. But like he he seems out. Shemi is out. Jabari is out. Well, I think I mean the last two games we played really guard heavy or guard dependent teams, right? Like all of San Antonio's offense yeah. and all of Portland's offense is generated out of the the guard position. So. I do think that's a big reason why we saw, you know, Romeo instead of Grant kind of in that last fulcrum spot. But I do I do agree with you. I mean, I, I said last episode that I thought Neesmith had kind of played his way in front of Romeo in the rotation. I think the last spa- week of games has, has borne that out. And I, I it's hard to imagine that changing. Um, but I think, you know, we'll see Romeo if, if we need another body against... Uh, you know, quick athletic um, scoring guards. Uh, Grant Williams, I, I still think if, if we find ourselves against bigger teams or our biggest in foul trouble, he's going to be in there and to play small ball five or very occasional four. Neesmith and Pritchard, the way that they're playing, these are the kind of guys, and, and these are games that are a playoff atmosphere, the last couple especially. Uh, so they're, and they're playing well in crunch time in those games. So these are, these are the kind of players that can. Um, swing a game in the playoffs and that's what you need coming off the bench Fournier is is a guy that I think can certainly do that pre-COVID so Josh when I look at this team sort of on paper I love the eight nine men rotation the question is are they going to be healthy and that is such a big question how can you bet my life that we're going <laughs> to win the Eastern Conference losing the Eastern Conference Finals I don't know he did it pretty cavalierly I, I just I have yeah I mean number one you know you're my twin brother, but we've had a contentious relationship our whole life. So, you know, my value on your life is, I think, uh, dependent <laughs> a little bit. Um, secondly, you Are know, you in need of an I, organ that I'm unaware of. No, no. I, I just think that this team has what it takes, even though they haven't shown it all year. You know why? Cause this is a wonky year. This is not a year when you can take anything that you see and create any kind of expectations. So we're all right. We're all wrong. 
and we're all going to just wait and see what happens. But I mean, if you're another one of these teams playing the Celtics, you're afraid of Jason Tatum right now. You know, we have we have possibly the two best players on the court in certain series. So, and, and I think that includes the playoffs. I think that includes Miami potentially. So, uh, and with the bench playing better, I mean, just in the last few games, Aaron Neesmith has put him as someone who we never thought would shoot 38 or 40% in a season and really contribute in his rookie contract to somebody who's now shooting 38% on 13.7 minutes per game. So this is impacting some bets that we have, guys. Uh, Mike bet me that he would never do that on his rookie contract, 15 minutes per game, 38% from three. If he plays uh, another minute per game, he I win that bet. And then Did we have a game uh, minimum on I that one. That, I don't remember. <laughs> I have to pull it up. <laughs> um, for, minimum forty games. So he's already he's already good. Um, and then Adam, you and I have a bet on whether two of that group of the bench players are going to shoot forty percent from three this year, pitch on seventy two attempts minimum. Pritchard is uh, obviously he's good. He's yep. the one in that category. Yeah. And if Neesmith continues over the last few games here, he could go from 38%, which he's at right now, to 40% and and impact the bets. So, Adam, Not do that, we start no, rooting against Neesmith? Now I'm confused. <laughs> no, but, well, here, here's the thing, Mike, um, because Aaron Neesmith, uh, the last three games, he's, he's scored 15, 16, and 16 points. But the last game, that was on four of four. Um, six four of seven four shooting. Three, right? And the game before, it was, well, yes, four of four from three, six of seven from the field. Uh, the game before, seven of nine from the field, two of three from three, six of twelve. The game before, two of five from three. So is he going to continue shooting? You know, whatever that is, sixty-six percent from three and <laughs> seventy-five from two. I'm saying no, but I do think Josh, you have you, a shot. You, at de- you, you definitely do. It, it, it certainly it certainly looks bad for me over the course of the four years, and I'll take that because that means Aaron Neesmith is not nearly the abject bust that I, I genuinely was concerned he was at the beginning of the season. I also just to toss this out there, um, I was texting with a friend during the uh, San Antonio game, I think it was, about Aaron Neesmith and speculating maybe he's gonna give us you know a Ty- Tyler Hero like bump in the playoffs. Um, the way a hero did for the Heat last year, the the way he's playing, you know, he could have a big game or a big, a couple big series for us in the playoffs if he if he really rides this out. So I'm here for it if that happens. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I think here's why it's not a fluke for Neesmith. I think when you look at the comparison between Neesmith's minutes and Romeo Lankford's minutes, you still see Romeo Lankford not knowing what to do and not being decisive. Like towards the end of that Portland game, they gave him a gave him the ball like to to race up the court and try to make something happen, you know, at the end of the game. And you can see like his teammates are trying to tell him what to do. He's trying to listen. He's not decisive in making the decision himself. He's still trying to figure it out. And on defense, he's in the right place at the right time. He's in the right spots. But what's different about uh, Neesmith is that you can tell that Neesmith isn't doing it out of reps. Neesmith's doing it because he knows mentally where to go. Um, and Romeo's doing it because he's gotten the reps in over the last two years and, and all the time he's had to watch film. Um, you know, he's, he's finally figured that part out. But it's not like he's, it's not like you can see him learning something new on the fly like you can with Neesmith. Um, you know, not only is Neesmith making decisions right away with the ball, he knows how to get out of the way. He knows how to space the court and is, and is effective because now he's finally hitting his shot. 
but just the energy that he plays with makes me feel like it's not a fluke. It's all derived from this killer instinct that he's showing, you know, only in the last few games, now that he's got the confidence to, you know, now that he's figured it out and, and he's hitting his shot, he's got that confidence where he can just play like, like that gritty bench player that we've really needed and been looking for, for a couple of years now, since we've lost the Rosiers and Marcus Morris's and Jay Crowder's, you know, those guys who've really provided that intensity and we're not named Marcus Smart. I mean, we need other guys to do that. Um, and, and it's great that he's stepped up. Now we have two bench players with Pritchard um, and, and count Tristan Thompson, if you want to, as guys who are bringing some grit off the bench. Josh, um, you mentioned, uh, I assume you were talking about defense when you, when you were talking about uh, decisiveness. That, that Offensively, I mean, no. I mean, I, that's I, what I meant, just offensively. I mean, Romeo does that defensively. They both he, he's de- Romeo's decisive defensively, but yeah. he doesn't necessarily make adjustments well. Um, like you defense? can see it. Yeah, when I, as a coach, when I watch him, I see Romeo defensively. He's making adjustments because he's had the reps. But if there's something brand new, he's not ready to make that adjustment yet. And Neesmith is, I feel like, because he understands the game at a different level. He's got definitely got a higher basketball IQ than Romeo, and you can see it on the court. Offensively, obviously, he's, he's night and day. Uh, partly because Both. of shooting. Both. I mean, just the way that Ro- the way that they, if you compare the two players, the way that Neesmith, um, when he ices the guy on, the, on the, the ball screen, you know, he forces the guy in one direction towards the big who's, who's standing there in the lane. And then he's got to get over the screen. And to get back, the way that, that Neesmith gets back into the play and tries to challenge the shot, you know, a la Matisse Thibel, that's one thing that he's really good at. He's relentless in trying to get back into the play, either getting back in front or getting back to challenge the shot on his man. And Romeo's not the same with that. You know, that's kind of like a higher level defensive movement. And Neesmith is, understands that that's where he needs to be. And he's really trying hard to be there. And I feel like Romeo will, will get hit on the screen. He knows he's got to get back in front, but he's not really, he's not really getting there. He's not really, you can see he's still kind of thinking it through and, and a step behind. Um, and Neesmith is a step behind only in that he will take kind of longer circuitous routes. He's not going like in the straight line to get to the spot uh, defensively. And so, like, getting around a screen, like, he's not going to go under that screen to make it a straight line back to his man. He's going to do the right thing by going over the screen, and it ends up kind of being a kind of like a banana cut, a curved cut. Um, and, and so that's one thing that I think he could improve on. But you can see he's processing things very quickly, and especially now that he's gotten the confidence back, it's like that's what's translating to, to him just playing like a maniac. My, I think my favorite thing about this last run is when Neesmith makes a big play and the, there's a dead ball and he throws his arms down, fists clenched, and primal screams. It's like there's an energy that he's bringing that this team desperately needs, especially at this point in the season, at this point of this season. Uh, it's, it's just amazing to watch. So, and he's doing that. He's doing that on like small possession changes, yeah. like really inconsequential kinds of plays. Neesmith's getting way too fired up. 
Well, I, love it. I, I, I want to go back. I want to connect that to something you said before, Josh. Um, it took it took all of my self-restraint to not jump in at the time when you compared the way Tatum is arguably pacing himself to LeBron James um, uh, because, you know, there's a few differences in their careers uh, where one might <laughs> have earned the right to pace himself and the other has not actually done anything yet. Um, but... I do, I do think that the early success, uh, relatively speaking, that Tatum and Smart and Brown have achieved uh, for the stage of career uh, that they're at in the NBA has led to them going through the motions at a, at a level that, frankly, is, is uh, pretty frustrating at times. Um, I also agree with what you were saying, Josh, that we might be seeing Tatum and you might have faith that Tatum can kind of ramp it up and get to that level and play kind of at a level above. Uh, but that's because he's like a super, he, he really is a budding true superstar. Um, I have greater skepticism on the ability of smart and Brown to do that at the level that they would need to do it for it to be acceptable. Um, but it does all underscore the importance because I think so much of our, our core roster is I think a bit adversely affected, um, by, by that early success uh, and and having it influence the amount of focus and energy they bring to kind of the quote unquote more mundane parts of the regular season. Um, it, it does highlight how important it is to get that energy that someone like Neesmith is bringing to them because that, you know, ideally they would be bringing a bit more of it, a bit more consistently themselves and they just aren't. Yeah, I only brought LeBron up because two, three years ago, you know, when his team wasn't as good, he was taking many plays off on defense. And I mean, just he was really pacing himself in a way that I had never seen LeBron do. And it, it became clear to me then that, like, depending on the situation, these guys were all pacing themselves, like all of them, even LeBron. Yeah, but, uh, but again, like he was three championships in at that point, right? Sure. Okay. Not Not the same, right? But... But I think, I mean, shoot, when I saw that, you can see it. You watch the games, you can see LeBron back then pacing. Oh, oh I'm not arguing you can that. You see Tatum right now. Yeah, like, to, yeah. I mean, this season's funky, right, because of the, the low turnover between last season and this season and the condensed schedule with COVID, et cetera. But in, in general, the idea of three guys in their early 20s that feel like they've earned the right to pace themselves because they've made the Eastern Conference Finals a few times is would be concerning. I, I I'll give them I will it's I'll give them benefit yeah. of the doubt this season because of how much load they've had. But but I would say if that's yeah. a habit that persists after like a real off season and a, a less concentrated schedule, that's that would be really problematic in my opinion. Okay, the Celtics are currently in the seventh seed. And Josh, I want you to walk us through, remind us this play-in tournament. How does this actually work? Let's say the season ends today. Celtics in the seventh seed. Yeah, so it's a three-game tournament starting May 18th to the 21st. It's right before the playoffs start on Saturday, March 22nd. And so the seven plays the eight seed. You know, it's not like the, the, the NCAA tournament where you have high seeds playing low seeds. The seven and eight play each other and the winner gets the seventh seed. Then um, nine against 10 play, and the loser is obviously out, and the winner plays the loser of the seven-eight seed 
to see who gets that eighth seed. So the Celtics, uh, if we ended the season today, they'd have to win one of those games to make the playoffs. And then we're talking about likely we're, we are going to be either playing Philly, Brooklyn, or the Bucks in the first round, whether we're six, seven, or eight. Because I, I don't think we're overtaking the Hawks. We're, we're a game behind, but it's really two games because uh, we we uh, they own the I, I, I think anywhere between fifth and eighth is pretty possible for us. Be- because the Knicks there. are about to go on this really rough six-game road trip. Um, I think they, they played the Rockets, I think, which was the first of their road games. But yeah. So they won that one. But then they play, like, Denver. They play both L.A. teams. They play Phoenix. Like, they could lose three or four San here Antonio. Um, pretty, pretty easily. So even if we don't catch the Hawks, we play the, you know, we play the Heat twice. We play the Knicks once. We could, we could, it's very possible for us to pass both the Heat and the Knicks and end up the five seed. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I, I would also, you know, I'd say it's like a 20 to 25% chance of happening probably. Yeah, two and a half behind the Knicks. I would bet that the Atlanta-Portland game tonight, so when this podcast comes out Tuesday morning, I would bet that Portland would have beat Atlanta. We know how good Portland is. We just saw them. And then Atlanta goes on to play Phoenix, Indiana, Washington twice, and then has it easy with Orlando and Houston to end things out. So, I mean, depending on how things go, it's not inconceivable that Atlanta drops some games too. I really think that anything is possible at this point. Well, we'll watch and see. Jason Tatum was named Player of the Week, along with Josh. You mentioned Phoenix uh, uh, on the on the West Coast. It was um, Devin Booker. Uh, Mike, we were ta- started talking last time about Jason Tatum's place in the All NBA team, and since then he has just gone off. Uh, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about his contract when I was watching that game. <laughs> Obviously, I will take this this streak that he is on, uh, but. Uh, where do you feel like he stands at this point in the All NBA conversation? So I pulled the following stats for the following players. So the the players that I looked at, right? So All NBA, there's three teams, 15 players, six forwards. So the question is, is is Tatum one of the six going to be one of the six best se- uh, forwards on this season? So I looked at Jason Tatum, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James. Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, Julius Randle, and I threw Tobias Harris in there because they're a top three team in the East, and I I, I just wanted to see if he deserved to be in the conversation. Um, and I'll actually come back to him. So looking at this, Giannis is obviously first team. Most podcasts I've listened to, Oh, wait, um, I've said that Kawhi is likely to be first team. But, sorry, the, the numbers that I looked at, or the stats I looked at for each player, games played, minutes per game, points per game, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, field goal percentage, and three-point shooting percentage. And then I looked at a few advanced stats. So PER, box plus minus, win shares per 48, and real plus minus from ESPN. Just to kind of get a sense for, for how they compared against them. There was a little bit of noise in the advanced stats as far as, like, they weren't all consistent across the board. Um, But, like, Giannis was clearly kind of a cut above, for the most part, across the board. Uh, LeBron had, like, the best 
real plus minus of everyone. He had a really one of the, the highest box plus minuses. He's only played in 43 games so far. Uh, by contrast, Julius Randle has played the most games out of everyone, 63. Jason Tatum's played 58. So I learned a couple of things in this exercise. I learned that I'm really glad I don't have to cast my official vote or an official vote because I have no idea how I would differentiate between some of the like choices on first and second and third team looking at this. Um, maybe like an intense amount of film study. But I also feel very confident at this point in time that Jason Tatum is not in the top six in forwards. I, I And I say that wow. taking Kevin Durant out of the equation, he's only played in 28 games so far. Hmm. So like he he might get up to half to 50% games played, but I think that's low enough um, that that it should take him out of the conversation. But Jason Tatum's like stats, he has a higher point per game, but pretty much across the board elsewhere, he's he's arguably most similar to Tobias Harris of these players. And wow. and the, the other surprise I had was like Julius Randle is actually kind of more at that level, even though in my head I would put Julius really? I had put Julius Randle higher. So like Julius Randle is averaging 24, 10, and 6. Tatum's averaging 26.5, 7.4, and 4.4. Um, Julius Randle's shooting a little bit better. His PER is a little bit worse. His win shares per 48 are better. His box plus minus and real plus minus are better. And obviously his team's record is better. Um, but like Zion has way better advanced stats than both of them. Paul George, it depends on which advanced stat you look at. Like, it's really noisy. But Jason Tatum's probably number seven or eight on this list. So you've got Kawhi, Kawhi LeBron, LeBron, Giannis, Giannis Randall, Paul George, Zion, and Jimmy Butler, I think, are all ahead of Tatum. That's seven. That's, yeah. Eight. And and the so LeBron, no, Katie's KD. out of it because he's only yeah. he hasn't played enough yeah. games. Katie's so out because he hasn't played is, enough games. Is Anthony, Anthony Davis? I did not include. Is in Anthony this Davis? Is he considered a center? Do we I, know that? I still don't know. <laughs> so because he's ahead of him too, right? So yeah, it's a tough group. He, so my, if I were to like bet money on it, which I'm not going to do because I don't do that, but um, I would bet that Jason Tatum will not make All NBA, even though he's playing so well recently but i also wouldn't come to any final conclusions because like if the knicks lose a bunch of games in this upcoming stretch and the celtics all of a sudden go on a big win streak and jason tatum plays you know plays out of his mind there will be some recency bias and it's entirely possible he bumps into that sixth spot but my, if I were to guess, I would say it's going to end up being Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, Zion, Gian, Giannis, and Julius Randle, and it, possibly Jimmy Butler instead of Zion. And you think Jimmy Butler is ahead of Tatum in this in this discussion as well? I, I do. Yeah, I stats. do. So he's wow. he's not shooting very well. He he's shooting well. He's shooting forty nine percent from the field, but he's only shooting twenty percent from three, which is ghastly. But he's got a really good PER, 26.4. His box plus minus is 7.4 compared to Jason Tatum's 3.8. 
His win shares per 48 are 0.253 compared to Jason Tatum's 0.139. And his RPM is 3.12 compared to Jason Tatum's 2.28. And the Heat have a better record than Tatum right now, than the Celtics right now. So uh, he's played 48 games compared to 58. So like the only thing Tatum has going for him compared to most of them, these other players is that he's played 10 more games than Jimmy Butler and then Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I don't think that's going to matter this season at all. Um, so I, I just, unless the Celtics win basically the rest of their games and, and find themselves in like fourth or fifth in the conference, I, I, which we just spent this entire episode expressing our skepticism about. I don't see, I don't see Tatum uh, being in the All NBA conversation, which has major, I mean, frankly, positive impact for the Celtics cap sheet going forward. Yeah, huge. Because it's like a thirty be- million dollar difference. Yeah, it's like thirty two million dollars or something. It's uh, because of the supermax. Because of the yeah, so it it basically ends up being five percent of the salary cap difference on his salary each year over the course of his yeah. his four years of extension or five if he opts in to his player option so it's it it ends up being a pretty big deal well the most interesting part of this all nba conversation to me is whether we're going to get any consensus by the voters on if there's a cutoff on the number of games played that you need to to get a vote you know, because we got so many guys playing different numbers of games this season, it's it's all over the place, like it never has been before. I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm consensus. I'm sure we won't, but my my guess is it's going to be like if people play at least like sixty or sixty five percent of the games this year, they'll probably be treated more or less the same, or maybe like sixty five or seventy percent. I don't know what would that be. Seventy percent would be right about fifty games. Well, we will be watching the All-NBA. The Celtics uh, play next. They, they're on the road at Orlando on Wednesday and then at Chicago before coming home for two games uh, against Miami twice. Uh, not back-to-back days, but back-to-back games. We will be watching and talking about it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. If you've made it this far, you are a true Celtics fan. Thanks for listening to Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.